Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett thanking you for joining us today on the broadcast. Well, today we are basically wrapping up the year 2021. And so I wanted to kind of take the last few broadcasts of the year and talk to you about the blessings of being a joy giver. Now, when I talk about giving joy, the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I've discovered something about giving what we most need. The Bible is very clear that given it shall be given unto you. And so whatever you need in your life, you should be giving that away. Now that seems like, like, like it doesn't make sense because in our mind, if I give something away, I have less of what I've given. But in the Bible's economy, when you give something away, it actually multiplies. So I want to talk to you about being a joy giver. And I want to be specific about what we're talking about. We're talking about giving the gospel to those who need to hear the good news. Now, we are living in a day and age where it appears that atheism is on the rise. And I don't know if you remember a guy by the name of Stephen Hawking. He was an atheist, and he was one of the greatest physicists in history. Uh, He died back in 2018, I believe, and uh, he was a professor. Uh, He was a scientist. And as we think about all that he did, he was a brilliant man, but he was an atheist. Uh, Stephen Hawkins, as one of the greatest physicists in history, one professor predicted this about him. We will be talking about Hawking and radiation for many decades from now. Uh, He had this unique spirit about him, and he had this opportunity to have a lot of good dialogue and to get into a lot of debates with people, even though he had some significant handicaps. And as we look at his life, the facts of Stephen Hawking's life read like kind of like a novel. He was born on January 8th of 1942, exactly 300 years after the death of Galileo. Uh, he did not learn to read until he was eight years old. Uh, he was never ranked more than halfway up his academic class. When he was diagnosed with ALS at the age of 21, doctors predicted that he would only live another two years, maybe three years. But he survived that disease for 55 years. As his body deteriorated, eventually he had to use a single cheek muscle to control communication devices, and he could only write a few words in a minute. Nevertheless, he was able to produce groundbreaking scientific work. He was especially known for his explanation of the behavior of black holes. From the beginning of his academic career, Hawking wanted to fathom the depths of the universe seeking to understand where we came from and why we are here. Several times in his autobiography, he states that he had a satisfying life. He points to his successful career, the fact that he was married twice and had three beautiful and accomplished children, and his global travels and all the meetings that he had with world leaders contributed to his conclusion that he had a good life. As a matter of fact, he concludes his book by saying, I'm happy. If I have added something to our understanding of the universe, I am happy. He was happy, but he was an atheist. Now, there's some arguments for atheism. Some atheists reject God's existence because they cannot reconcile an all-knowing, an all-loving, an all-powerful God with evil and suffering in the universe. Tragedies such as bridges collapsing and and most recently this tornado that has flown through Kentucky and Tennessee and through the Midwest states. 
Uh, how can God be all-powerful and all-knowing and not stop that or, or cause that? There's another kind of atheism. Hawkins' atheism was of another kind. He stated clearly, We are each free to believe what we want, and it is my view that the simplest explanation is that there is no God. No one created the universe, and nobody directs our fate. It's not that Hawking had an exposure to biblical truth. Uh, He did have exposure to biblical truth. I mean, his father insisted that he studied the Bible as a child for its literary value. In his autobiography, My Brief History, he tells of working with a research assistant who was an evangelical Christian, and he did his best to convert me when he later came to live with us in Cambridge. He used to read me the Bible stories at breakfast. The physicist assured him that he knew the Bible well from early studies. Hawking even helped smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union at the request of a Baptist who was part of of a travel group. In a brief history of time, he referred to the mind of God. However, he meant only the embodiment of the laws of nature. In my research, I think that we can come up with three reasons why many people choose atheism, and particularly why Hawking chose atheism. Number one, he rejected the concept of a personal God. And by the way, uh, these notes that I'm using today, I, I want to give credit to Mr. Jim Dennison and the Dennison Forum uh, for kind of giving the outline for what I'm sharing with you today. As a matter of fact, if you are interested in reading and getting his daily emails, I get them every day in my inbox. It's a uh, Jim Dennison Forum, and uh, you can look at this subject uh, deeper if you'd like to. But he came up with these three basic reasons why Hawking chose atheism. First, he rejected the concept of a personal God with whom we can have a personal relationship. This is what he said. When you look at the vast size of the universe and how insignificant an accidental human life is, that seems most impossible. But that begs the question, why? Why is the apparent insignificance of a human life in comparison to the great vast creation, why is that that human life irrelevant? Maybe it's very relevant. Maybe we have a God that is so big, but yet so personal that he can create us and create us in his image. Well, Hawking had a, a second reason, perhaps, why he embraced atheism. The second reason is that he became convinced that spontaneous creation explains the existence of the universe with no need to appeal to a creator. But his theory requires the prior existence of gravity, as Oxford mathematician John Lennox notes. Hawking must then explain how gravity came to be. He must also explain how a law can create physical reality. For instance, Newton's law of motion does not cause a moving car to exist, and even given Hawking's parameters, could God not have designed a self-creating universe? The third aspect with Hawking's and his embracing of atheism, we talked about the first one is he couldn't understand a concept of a personal God because of the vastness of creation. And second, he was convinced that it was spontaneous creation, but he didn't explain the law of gravity, or where that original spontaneous action took place. 
And then thirdly, he asserted, I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is only a fairy tale, a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. But computers and people are far more different than we are alike. This is where philosophers call a categorical mistake. Like asking the color of seven or the weight of a circle. The fact that computers have no afterlives bears no relevance to the afterlife of humans. We're not the same. Upon this mistaken logic, Hawking's tragically risked his eternity. You know, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So why does this really matter today, whether or not Steve Hawking's embraced atheism? Now imagine with his brilliant mind, what he could have contributed to humankind if he had been empowered by the Spirit of God. Imagine his influence that he could have had if he was an intelligent Christian. And imagine his eternal reward if he had turned from the creation to the Creator, trusting his soul to the Savior. If Christians do not grieve the deaths of Stephen Hawking and other non-Christians, something is wrong. You see, every person is valuable. Every person is created in the image of God. We must understand that every soul is very valuable to God. As a matter of fact, we love John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. But don't forget two verses down from verse number 16. John 3.18 says, Whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, such a person who does not believe, his name is not in the book of life, and he will spend eternity separated from God. That grieves my heart. It saddens my soul. You see, our Savior's invitation is still open. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But we must turn from ourselves to the Maker because it's the Spirit that gives us life. Oh, I want you to know, so many people have what we, we could call this illusion of knowledge. You see, Stephen Hawking was convinced that the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is this illusion of knowledge. However, his rejection of God is one such illusion of knowledge. I imagine now he tragically knows better. Are you praying for your non-Christian friends that they will know the truth before it's too late? Today in the broadcast, I want to share with you why you should be so zealous in sharing the gospel wherever you go. And I'm going to share with you some ways in which you can do that. You see, the God of the Bible is not affected by time and space and matter. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is involved in spreading the gospel, and he uses us as that conduit to give the message to those who do not know. You see, our creation has been defiled. It's dirty because of sin. When Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day that they did that, they started to die God provided clothes for them. There are some consequences of that curse. 
As we think about all that God has gone through for us, I want to remind you that God has given us an opportunity to share the good news because we have been born again. In Acts chapter 11, terrible things are happening to the church. On one hand, really good things are happening because the church is growing like crazy. But in Acts chapter 11, it says they were being scattered by persecution. It says that a persecution broke out when Stephen was killed. In other words, the Roman Empire became emboldened when they killed that first martyr, Stephen. You remember the apostle Paul, he was Saul at that time, he was not converted at that time. Saul ordered the death of Stephen. And as Stephen is martyred, the Roman officials found that the people liked the fact that these Christians were being persecuted. And as a result of this persecution, they are scattered. After Stephen is killed, all of a sudden the persecution intensifies. And we discover it was hard on them. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love Acts chapter 11, verse number 21. It said that the Lord's hand was with them, with a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is a fascinating chapter within the Bible. What appears to be bad is turning into good. Persecution is breaking out. That's not a good thing. It's not good to be persecuted. But Jesus did say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here we discover persecution for righteousness' sake, causing the church to spread, causing those who are persecuted to spread out, to move away from the persecution. And as a result of this, the gospel is spread. Now the gospel is not just for the Jews, but now it is for the Gentiles as well. You know, we have a lot to give thanks for. If this persecution never took place and the church was never scattered, the gospel would not have been given to the Gentiles. Listen, if you're not a Jew today and you're listening to this broadcast, you're a Gentile. There's really only two types of people in the world, saved and non-saved, or Jews and Gentiles. If you are born again, you're a child of the king. If you're not a Jewish person, you're a Gentile. Jews and Gentiles are saved alike by calling upon the name of the Lord. Well, let's look at this suffering component. And let's ask ourselves the question, why is suffering and persecution such a central theme to the New Testament, and especially the book of Acts? Now, whenever you talk to an atheist, and I've had the occasion to do it many times, I've discovered there's an important question that you can ask them. I ask an atheist, tell me, about this God that you claim not to believe exists. And inevitably, they will tell me about a bad event that happened in their lives. They lost a mother, they lost a father, they lost a friend, a a tragedy took place in their life, and they will say, I don't believe a God could do that, so therefore I don't believe in God. If we can get back to the place where people are hurting, we will discover that even in our times of hurt, God reveals himself to us. You see, suffering and persecution is a central theme in the New Testament because the gospel is always shared best in hardship. We become God's herald. Now, do you tend to to shy away from 
dealing with trouble? Do you avoid hardships? Uh, Do you tend to run from responsibility? I believe that God speaks loudest during our times of trials and hardships. As the early church suffered, the gospel spread. It even began to spread to Antioch, a Gentile city. Tim Keller nuances the narratives in today's culture by saying there are two lines of thought today in the church. One is religion, and the other narrative is the gospel. He goes on to say the difference between the gospel and the religion is religion says, if you obey, you'll be accepted. But the gospel says, you are accepted, therefore you obey. The focus is on the relationship, not on religion. So when hardships come, we are driven to the one who can redeem us. In Acts chapter 11, news of this church in Jerusalem begins to spread. They sent out Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he said, he was glad and encouraged, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So here we discover word is getting back to the church of Jerusalem. So they send Barnabas to encourage the church of Jerusalem who's going through this time of persecution. And he arrives, and he says he saw what the grace of God had done. And he was glad, and he encouraged him to remain true to the Lord. Now, how could he do this? Why did he do this? He saw something that many people may have missed. He saw that because of the pressure that was put on the church, the gospel was being spread. He says, this is good. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit when he said these words, and we discovered that a number of people were brought to the Lord. So in the midst of persecution, let me rephrase that, because of persecution, the church was growing. Because the gospel is always shared best in hardship, because it is at that point we become God's herald. Here's the second reason why suffering and persecution is such a central theme in the New Testament. Number two is that the gospel is always best shared in hardship. We talked about the fact that it's shared in hardship, but it's also because it is the heart of God. Reaching to us, ministering to us, redeeming us in our times of hardship is the very heart of God. According to Acts chapter 4, verse number 36, Barnabas, who, by the way, his real name was Joseph, uh, his name became Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. So Barnabas and the apostles, they got together, they named him son of encouragement. Uh, It's obvious that Luke wants us to see the goodness of Barnabas, and we see that Barnabas is brought in and he encourages the believers, especially those who are the outsiders, especially those who are the underdogs, right? So the church in Jerusalem chooses Barnabas to go to Antioch to encourage and establish the new Gentile church. So when we think about this, sharing the gospel in the midst of hardship, God loves to meet us in our point of hardship. It is something that we discover about God and his ability to take care of our needs. It keeps us true to our needs. In Ephesians 1.7, it says, 
In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of his grace. Paul is reminding us here of a very important truth. That truth is that our redemption is made possible through the blood of Christ, through the suffering of Christ. If Christ never suffered, we would never be forgiven. So when we think about hardships, our hardships drive us to the Savior. It keeps us true to our real needs. Secondly, our hardships also keep us true to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul is reminding us, because of the grace of God, all that God had done to him, it had kept him from running his life in vain. It reminded him, although that he worked hard, it was because of the grace of God that he could work hard. He was dependent upon God's grace, and he kept depending upon God's grace because the pressure was put on him. There's something else that we see about the gospel and his ability to thrive during the hard times. It keeps us true to the salvation of others. In other words, it keeps us focused on on the needs of others. Titus put it this way, or Paul too, Titus put it this way, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. Listen, I want you to know the gift of salvation is available to all. And God uses us to give that message to others. In Acts chapter 11, as we go back to this chapter, we look at verses 25 and 26. It says, Then Barnabas went to Troas to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, this is fascinating. We see Barnabas ministering with Saul, and as a result of that, many people, great numbers of people, are being converted, and they are being taught the importance of God's Word. You see, too many times we are so concerned with self-preservation. Listen, we are the bride of Christ. We are protected by Christ Himself through the Holy Spirit. Now, if somebody attacks my wife, do you think I'm going to sit around and do nothing? No, I'm going to do something. You think I'm going to say, well, I don't want to get uncomfortable by intervening. No, I'm going to do something. And you would do something as well. If somebody messes with my children, I'm not going to stand by and say, well, I don't want to get my clothes dirty, or I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable by by getting in the middle of this thing. Now, when somebody that I love is attacked, I will defend. You know, God does the same thing through us. When we are attacked, he doesn't stand by idly. He comes to our defense. Just as Paul and Barnabas worked together and they saw great numbers of people being added to the church because God was constantly coming to their defense. Well, as we share the gospel, God expects us to constantly grow to be more like Christ. Did you know that growing is expected? And we grow based upon the hope that we have. I hope that I have a blessed future in heaven. And because of that, I'm going to be growing to be more like Christ. 
Well, we're still in Acts chapter 11. Now we're down to verses 27 through 30. During this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, a guy by the name of Agabus, stood up there and the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over all of the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and the sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Paul. As we think about this hope that we have, hope is never an idle hope. Hope always drives us to do something, and it drives us to be a blessing to others. Here we learn that the church is facing a famine, and so what happens? They get together, they take an offering, they bring a meal together, they provide for those who have a need. How could they do that? Well, they were going through a hard time themselves. The reason is they became filled with the hope of God. They realized that God was going to take care of all of their needs. Well, my friends, we're at the close of this broadcast. We're at the close of this year, and I want to give you an opportunity to receive that free devotional called Believe. All you got to do is give me a call, 757-421-7500. Leave me your name and your address, and I'll make sure you get a copy of that book, 757-421-7500. We'll make sure that you get that book, and if you want the Bible verses to go along with that, let them know, and we'll send that to you as well. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.